Hello. Today we will be going through lesson 13 of the Old Testament overview by Pastor Merritt. But before we begin, let's remember 1 John 1 9 as may or may not be necessary. Lesson 13, point one. Last lesson, we continued our analysis of the reason for the flood. Two, when time expired, we were looking at the possibility that the Genesis 6 gang, earlier placed in Tartarus, may be temporarily released to serve in the forces of Satan during the tribulation. Point three. Let's resume our review of Revelation chapter 9, verses 2 through 11. Several reputable theologians have concluded that the demon creatures described are none other than the Genesis 6 gang. Point four. I will review some of that learned, and then we will pick up with new material on page three. Point five. Introduction. The purpose of this doctrine is to attempt an identification of the creatures of Revelation chapter 9 who ascend out of the pit. 5.1.1 Their purpose, it would seem, would be to punish unbelievers. I will attempt to shed some light on their identification. 5.1.2 As John writes about this judgment, the locust or a visual presentation of a panoply of demons running amok on planet Earth. It has been written, there are uncanny denizens of the abyss, locusts of a hellish species, animated by devilish instincts and equipped with infernal powers. 5.1.3 Another has written, the locust army is a symbolical representation, a judgment of a superhuman kind. The locusts are commanded, probably by God, not to hurt the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. 5.1.4 They torment men in a way comparable to the torment of a scorpion. All except the sealed of God are subject to their torment. 5.1.5 The graphic description of the torment is compared to that of a scorpion sting. Scorpions in some places grow so large that their venom has been known to not only be painful, but even dangerous to infants, the aged, and the infirm. 5.16. The torment is said to last five months, and best interpretation would seem to teach a literal five months, although the five may be symbolic of a short time. 5.1.7. This is a horrible picture of a demonic world gone mad, even to such an extent that men are dominated and rendered helpless because of their agony. The natural plagues of the first four trumpets are now joined by a torment of demons. 
Revelation 9, verse 1 and 2, Scripture and Comment. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as a smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. 5.2.1 John devotes more space to this woe than to all the preceding judgments combined. 5.2.2 The star falling from heaven, to whom was given the key of the pit of the abyss, is an evil angel, the instrument of carrying out God's purpose with reference to the ungodly world. Most agree the evil angel who opens the pit is Satan himself. The abyss is a place, no doubt, but what place is the question? Could this be Tartarus, the place of confinement of the angels who sinned just before the flood? 5.2.3 Let's continue by looking at a description in summary fashion of what the demons do. 5.3 Revelation chapter 9, verse 3 through 10, with scripture and comment. And there came out of the smoke locust upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion, when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men, and they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. 5.3.1 From the abyss come creatures described as locusts, having great power, who are allowed to torment men, though not kill them, for a period of five months. 5.3.2 So intense will be the suffering that men will seek death. 5.3.3 Locusts are used in the famous prophecy of the book of Joel as symbols of invading armies. 5.3.4 Men are likened to locusts in the book of history. Deuteronomy chapters 28 verse 38 to 41 and Judges chapter 6, verses 5 through 11.
the result of reversionism. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 38 to 41. Thou shalt carry much seed out into the field, and shalt gather little in. For the locust shall consume it. Thou shalt plant vineyards, and dress them, but shalt neither drink of the wine, nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. Thou shalt have olive trees throughout all the coast, but thou shalt not anoint thyself with the oil. For thine oil shall cast his fruit. Thou shalt begot sons and daughters, but thou shalt not enjoy them, for they shall go into captivity. A prophecy of deliverance from the Midianites. Judges, chapter 6, verses 5 through 11. For they came up with their cattle and their tents. And they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number. And they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drave them out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But ye have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord, and sat under an oak tree, which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash and Abizarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress, to hide it from the Midianites. 5.3.5 It can also be found in the prophetic scriptures where they are symbols of divine judgment. And that's Jeremiah chapter 46 verses 20 through 24 and Nahum chapter 3 verse 15 through 17 as well as Amos chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. A prophecy against Egypt. Jeremiah chapter 46, verse 20 through 24. Egypt is like a very fair heifer, but destruction cometh. It cometh out of the north. Also, her hired men are in the midst of her like fatted bullocks. For they also are turned back, and are fled away together. They did not stand, because the day of their calamity was upon them, and in the time of their visitation. The voice thereof shall go like a serpent, 
for they shall march with an army, and come against her with axes as ewers of wood. They shall cut down her forest, saith the Lord, though it cannot be searched, because they are more than the grasshoppers, and are innumerable. The daughter of Egypt shall be confounded. She shall be delivered into the hand of the people of the north. A prophecy against Nivea. Nahum, chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. There shall the fire devour thee. The sword shall cut thee off. It shall eat thee up like the canker worm. Make thyself many as the canker worm. Make thyself many as the locust. Thou hast multiplied thy merchants above the stars of heaven. The canker worm spoileth and fleeth away. They crowned are as the locust, and the captains as the great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges in the cold day, but when the sun ariseth, they flee away, and their place is not known where they are. A prophecy against the northern kingdom. Amos chapter 7 verse 1 through 9. Thus hath the Lord God shewed unto me, and, behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and, Lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this, it shall not be, said the Lord. Thou hath the Lord God shewed unto me. And, behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire. And it devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord God repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. Thus he shewed me, and, behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. 5.3.6 Wycliffe writes, I personally have not felt I could be more specific than was Milligan, who said, 
and surely all would agree with this, that the judgment refers to a growing outburst of spiritual evil which shall aggravate the sorrows of the world, make it learn how bitter is the bondage of Satan. 5.4 Revelation 9.11 Scripture and Comment And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. 5.4.1 Etymology may help us identify the one who falls and those who are released to do the will of God. 5.4.2 We need to see what we have for Abyss, Abaddon, and Apollyon. Abyss is abusos in the Greek and can be found nine times, whereas we have Abaddon and Apollyon as hapax, legomena, i.e. they only appear once in the New Testament. 5.5 Etymology 5.51 The Greek abusos is a word for without depth or infernal abyss. It comes from the Greek butos or bathos, meaning depth or sea. I want to review a few other uses of abusos. Luke chapter 8 verse 30 And Jesus asked them, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. 31 And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. Note, Maybe the legion of demons did not want to join the likes of the Genesis 6 gang confined in Tartarus. Romans 10, verse 7. Or, who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. Revelation chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. And when they shall have finished their testimony... The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them, and kill them, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 3, And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. 5.5.2 The Greek Abaddon is of Hebrew origin, meaning a destroying angel. 5.5.3 The Greek Apollyon means a destroyer, and it comes from the Greek verb apalumai, 
meaning to destroy fully. Used reflexively, it means to perish or to lose. 5.6. We are told that over these creatures is the angel of the abyss, called in Hebrew Abaddon, and in the Greek Apollyon, the latter meaning destroyer. 5.6.1. In the Septuagint, the word Abaddon is translated in the Greek with Apollyon, and it carries the idea of destruction. For a New Testament use, see Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, which is, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction, and many there be who take the way of destruction. 5.7 As you can see, the etymology gives little help in our attempt to identify more specifically the abyss and or the demons. 5.8 Now let's see what Walverd has to say in his book entitled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. 5.8.1 The star here mentioned seems to refer to a person. The word fall in the perfect tense signifies completed action. The occasion may be the aftermath of warfare in heaven mentioned in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, which reads, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. It would seem the person referred to in this fall is none other than Satan. The pit of the abyss is none other than the place of detention of wicked angels. It is here that Satan himself is confined for 1,000 years during the reign of Christ on earth, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. 5.8.2 Walverd seems to leave open the possibility that the pit could be Tartarus. However, he does not so state. He even implies it is not that place. 5.8.3 Walverd does go on to write when speaking of the Avist as the abode of demons when he says, Romans chapter 10 verse 7 implies hypothetically that Christ descended into the spirit world between his death and resurrection. Romans 10 verse 7 Or, who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead? 5.8.4 Walverd's statement that it is here that Satan himself is confined for 1,000 years during the reign of Christ on earth. Revelation 20, 
verses 1 through 3. 5.9. To what conclusion or lack of conclusion do we come? 5.9.1. There is this possibility Satan does go to Tartarus and releases this willful and especially evil angels who once cohabitated with the women of the world. Dr. Henry M. Morris of the Institute for Creation Studies is in support of that view. 5.10. Dr. Morris, in his Defender Study Bible, has the following footnote. This pit is the lowest compartment of Hades. It probably refers to the lowest hell where the angels that sinned, that's from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, are confined in chains of darkness, awaiting their final judgment. It is probably these that will temporarily be released by Abaddon from the bottomless pit. There is the possibility Satan goes to a place where there are special angels confined by God as Satan's reserves. This would indicate they were placed there specifically for this purpose, and such thought is not out of keeping with that which we know concerning Satan and his having a table of organization. Such thought is also in keeping with the premise that even Satan and his demon minions do God's bidding under his permissive will. It is also from the etymology that the abyss is merely the ultimate place of punishment of the lake of fire and not Tartaros, given the fact the New Testament uses abyss in this way. From Revelations chapter 17, verse 8, 20, verse 1, and 3. One last thought concerning Tartaros being the abyss. These angels were punished because they stepped out of line and left their first estate, therefore would they be permitted to leave and work again, or is there finality in their judgment since they left their first estate? 5.11 In researching this question, I also consulted one whom I consider the master of eschatology, Dr. Dwight Pentecost. Dr. Pentecost does not, in his book entitled, things to come, provide an answer concerning the identification of either the abyss or the demons. 5.12. There would seem to be no definite answer as to our original question. We are left with our own conclusion based on the limited information provided. Point six. What we do know the flood occurred because of some number of angels who left their original habitation and became men. Point seven. The demons impregnated over 120-year period the women of planet Earth. Point eight. As a result, all but eight persons were contaminated, i.e. there were only eight pure humans remaining on the Earth. Point nine. This made the destruction of planet Earth necessary. Point 10. Now let's return to the story of the Great Flood. Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. The Earth also was corrupt before God. 
and the earth was filled with violence. And God, Elohim, looked upon the earth, and, behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. Point 11. The ark, a symbol of protection and salvation. 11.1. Noah's ark was a colossal barge which God commanded Noah to build for the purpose of keeping alive members of his family and two of every kind of land animal. Seven extra clean animals were provided for sacrifice purposes. Genesis chapter 6, verse 17 through 22. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. 11.2 The ark was to keep them alive through a universal flood which would come upon the earth. The ark, a translation from the Hebrew teba, meaning chest or box or coffin. 11.2.1 The word is also used in Exodus chapter 2, verse 3 and 5, where it describes not a ship, but a barge-like repository intended only to float and withstand the impacts of waves. Exodus chapter 2, verse 3 And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, and daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. Exodus chapter 2, verse 5 And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. 11.2.2 The ark, as designed, would have a carrying capacity one-third greater than a ship of similar length and width. 
and it would have been almost impossible to capsize. 11.2.3 The ark was constructed of gopher wood, cypress, and was protected by an inner and outer coating of pitch or bitumen, Hebrew koper or koper. 11.2.4 The three decks were divided into rooms. Hebrew kinim or nest around the entire vessel just below the roof was an opening for light and in one side was a door. From Genesis chapter 6 verses 14 through 16 read, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's 438 feet. The breadth of it 50 cubits, 73 feet, and the height of it, 30 cubits, 44 feet. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. With lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. 11.2.5 the ark was 300 cubits long, 50 wide, and 30 high. That's from Genesis, Genesis 6.15. Assuming that the basic Hebrew cubit was 17.5 inches, the ark was 437.5 feet long, 72.92 feet wide, and 43.75 feet high. 11.2.6. Since it had three decks, its total deck area was about 95,000 square feet. The total volume of the ark would have been 1,396,000 cubic feet, giving it a gross tonnage of about 13,960 tons, which is well within the category of large, metal, ocean-going vessels today. 11.2.7 As early as 1609-21, to 21, Peter Jansen in Holland built a large model of the Ark and demonstrated the efficiency of its design and proportions. Not until the last half of the 19th century was a ship built with dimensions exceeding that of the Ark. That's amazing, isn't it? 11.2.8 Noah and his sons probably hired many men to assist them in the construction of the Ark. Many, no doubt, ridiculed God's man. Nevertheless, when the time came, Noah and his family entered the ark. Let's look at these scriptures with brief comment. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. The Lord, Jehovah, then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Comment. Critics have argued because a different name for God is used here, therefore, some mysterious editor took two different accounts and pasted parts together to form the present story. This because in chapter 6, God is called Elohim, 
and here in chapter 7 he is called Jehovah. God, Elohim, is the plural, creative, and complete name of the Godhead. Jehovah is his redemptive name. These verses speak of redemption, whereas the prior verses spoke of the problem and God's displeasure. Jehovah now acts in utter grace. Eight pure souls will be delivered. In the KJV, Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, has been translated, For thee have I seen righteous before me. Noah, in addition to being uncontaminated, was also said to be positionally and temporally righteous, and yet not long after the flood, we will find him engrossed in sin. Barnhouse, in his book Genesis, has written, What is beauty? asked the critics. And after much discussion, they will tell you that it depends on the person who does the looking. What is admired by one person is despised by another. This leads us to conclude that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. In ourselves, there is no loveliness. But God was deigned to look upon us through the Lord Jesus Christ. As a child may find a deformed toy lovely and precious because of something in the heart of the child, so the Lord found us righteous before him because of something in his heart. And that something is what he has seen in Christ who is made unto us righteousness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 But of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Both my daughter and granddaughter, like most little girls, had dolls, Thumbelina and Tiny Baby respectively. Neither of the dolls had any redeeming aesthetic qualities, and yet, in the heart of these two little girls came a love for the unlovely. God's love, similarly, comes from whom and what he is and not whom and what we are. That's the end of, of Lesson 13 of Pastor Merritt's Old Testament Overview. I encourage you to go to westbankbiblechurch.com and look at the Old Testament Overview and you can follow along on the outlines there, or you can get ahead, or you can start over. It's all there for you. I encourage you to go there. We thank you for listening, whether it be on the podcast or on the website. Look forward to meeting with you here again. Continue to pray for Pastor Merritt. Pray for me. I pray for you. As we close, and as is usual, remember those of you who are listening Without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and thou shalt be saved. So long.